Five scores! Rick Bob. We decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Bob. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome, everyone, to episode 48 of the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs fan, and joining me as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. Squid, finally some good news on the golf front. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> Mike. I, we can golf in Ontario now. So I played Saturday, played yesterday, didn't go out today, just thought I'd take the day off and let my body <laughs> settle Recuperate. down a little bit. <laughs> Recuperate. While our guest today was drafted by the Boston Bruins and the WHA San Diego Mariners in 1975, played a seven-year pro career, but make his mark in coaching at the professional level. Uh, please welcome to the show Rick Aduno. Rick, thanks for joining us today. How are we keeping? Uh, good, good. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. It's always good to talk hockey at any time. That's still my life. Now, how are you keeping busy these days? Any plans moving forward with things starting to loosen up? Uh, but you're up in Thunder Bay, I believe. Uh, yeah, you know what? It was it's a tough scenario because I, I finished coaching in Krefeld of the DEL in Germany two years ago, but they wanted me to stay on as a, an advisor and a scout because I still had a couple years on my contract. So it worked out well for me. But then uh, because of the pandemic, the owner sold the team to a group from Switzerland and uh, they brought in a whole bunch of players from Russia and just had one guy running the whole show there. So I wasn't able to keep my job, so. Uh, but you know, I'm I'm hanging in there. I'm spending time with my grandchildren. I've got four grandsons that uh, play hockey, and uh, I spend a lot of time with them, working out, trying to explain the game to them, and three granddaughters. So it's great, good. boy. Boy, you 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 must be really busy with that many. I mean, I only got the one grandson, and he's not even two yet. But he's going <laughs> to be two in August, and I, I'm pretty sure. Sometime next winter, I'll, I'll try and get him on the skates. Well, Squid thinks he's busy now. Wait till he has a couple of grandchildren, three or four. You got to go to all their hockey games, and then they start asking you to go out to practices, which I've done. I've spent a lot of time on the ice, uh, you know, after coaching professionally with uh, uh, 10-year-olds, 6-year-olds, and uh, 14-year-olds, and then anyone else that asked me to go out. And we do run a little hockey camp here. My two sons and I in Thunder Bay, uh, as soon as the pandemic ends again, we'll get right back at it. It's great. Very good. Very good. No, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to having more grandchildren and getting involved and, like you say, going to their hockey games or if it happens to be a little girl, if she's into dance or something like that. I mean, I just can't wait. I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, speaking of which, didn't you have a question to ask, uh, Rick? We want to find out. uh, This is a very important part of our segment. Yes. Well, you know, Rick, we always, you know, we love nicknames and we we always love how people get nicknames. You got a great story about how you got your nickname. And you got to tell us that one. Yeah, it's, uh, you know what, it was was funny because... uh, Oh, crap. Way back when I was drafted in the OHL by the Ottawa 67s in the first round, uh, I had relatives that lived in St. Catharines. So they wanted me to go there. And Frank Milne, who coached St. Catharines, and Hap Ems was the GM and the owner, they wanted me to go to St. Catharines and play with Davey Gorman and Wolf Paymont. 
because we were all 17 at the time, and uh, they'd scouted me here in Thunder Bay. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the only way they could do it was delay the process till I could get traded. And long story short, I got traded to Sudbury. I think Ian Turnbull happened to be involved in that trade in some way. And then I got traded back to St. Catharines for, I think, a guy named Jojo DiVirgilio or something and a couple of draft picks. But anyway, I couldn't train in St. Catharines until uh, the trade was approved by the OHL. And they had to keep it quiet. Otherwise, I don't know if I should even be saying this right now, but <laughs> Buffalo would lose their first round draft pick because they trained in St. Catharines at that time. Well, you know, that's when Gilbert Perot, Rick Martin, but Ron Busnick from Thunder Bay was also training with them then. And uh, so I, Hapams put me in, he asked Punch Imlac, I think it was, if I could train with Buffalo for a couple of weeks till my release came through. So I'm 16 years old training with the Buffalo Sabres and they had to give me a false name so that no one else in the OHL or the NHL knew. And they gave me the name. They really thought hard about it. They called me Joe Smith. <laughs> so I'm out on the ice and Joe Crozier's coaching at the time. And I, I, you know what? I didn't even know they gave me the name Joe Smith until the first practice. He's at center ice with a cup of coffee in his hand and he's calling out names and he goes, Joe Smith. And I think some other guys knew who my name was. I didn't even know yet. And they're going, that's you. And I'm going, me? And yeah, so <laughs> from that point on, I was Joe Smith. And everybody started calling me Smitty. And uh, <laughs> it stuck with me ever since then. And then when I ended up playing with Squid in, uh, in the world hockey, and, uh, you know, that name just stuck. And uh, so it's not the uh, different nickname, but it, uh, you know what, we made something out of it. And it was a lot of fun, actually. And uh so, yeah, and Ron Busnick actually fought all my fights for me in that training camp because he was a tough guy, so yeah, yeah. nobody came near me. But my biggest thrill just was seeing Tim Horton, Gilbert Perot, Rick Martin, all those guys. But it was fun, <laughs> and it got my junior start off to a great career. It, it well, really before, we, before we get before into we that, get that, let's, let's get, get things started the right way. You and Squid were teammates in Birmingham. Birmingham. You also won a Kelly Cup championship coaching together in South Carolina. You played with Squid when he was 19 years old in Birmingham, and then as his assistant, after a few years of coaching under his belt. Describe the difference in the two versions of Squid as a player and as a coach new, basically, to his new professional job. Oh, my God. Un- I mean, just unbelievable. I mean, when we played with him in Birmingham, I mean, he was just he was a young guy with great skill. Used a, a log for a hockey stick. I don't even think he knew what a hockey stick was. His stick was so heavy. It looked like a birch, birch tree from the backyard. But he, uh, Rick was, you know, he, I don't even know what I should say here. He was a little bit out of control, but not totally under, out of control. But he, he did what he wanted to do as a player, as a young player in the WHA. He took no guff from anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would always be, you know, if Johnny McKenzie ran him in the corner, He'd be lipping off to him, and John Brophy would say, Squid, don't lip off to Semenko. Don't lip off, lip off to McKenzie, any of these guys. And Squid would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then he'd go on the ice. And I'll never forget one game. We're playing Edmonton, center ice faceoff, and Glenn Sather was yelling at Squid before the game even started. And Semenko's lined up against him, and I said, Squid, whatever you do, shut up. Don't say anything to Semenko. And we're dropping the puck. Puck drops, and Squid said something to Semenko, and boom, Semenko suckered him. So, I mean, that's the type of guy he was. He was just, he, he, he didn't put up with anything. He wasn't afraid of anybody. He was great down the wing, but he let, loved to enjoy life. And he enjoyed life with Michel Goulet, Rob Ramage, uh, Craig Hartsburg, all the young guys we had. 
And none of those guys had their proper names either for the most part. A eh, Squid, we all had nicknames in there too. But but then when he when he when he made the transition from coaching, I hadn't seen Squid for a long time since since our WHA days. And uh, uh, and just with that, I had a million phone calls during uh, the season from NHL scouts asking me about Squid and all the young guys, how they compared to each other for the NHL draft, which was nice because they played on my line. But um, when he when he transitioned to coaching, it had been a few years since we talked, and there was a huge difference in maturity. I mean, he's always been a great goal scorer, great team guy, played to win, hated to lose. And he brought that to coaching too. But when he coached, the, the maturity level that he brought was uh, so much different than the maturity level he had as a player at 19. And, uh, boy, you know, I gained a lot of respect for him right away because he'd been around in the National Hockey League. He taught me a lot in my first couple of years of coaching. Uh, we had a lot of fun together, and we turned that fun into learning together. So uh, as a coach, I, you know what? I still think for what we accomplished in the East Coast League, the way things go nowadays, and Rick went on to the AHL, left me all by myself in South Carolina after and <laughs> forgot all about me. But we were lucky to win a championship, and then I was lucky enough to win one after. But uh, I still think given the proper opportunity as guys are now, I, I think Rick would have been a great coach in the NHL because he's got such a real good personality. You know, he's, he's a, he's a player's coach. Well, that sounds, uh, sounds about right. Um, I, but let's go back. Let's talk about you now. Uh, let's describe your early life growing up in Ontario leading. Well, you talked about the St. Catharines Blackhawks. So maybe walk us through joining the Hawks and maybe let's just take it one step further. You joined them in 72, I believe. And after that was about a year and a bit after that famous incident with the Quebec Ramparts when Dion and Lafleur were the two key players in the junior draft and they, they are the elite players of the league. And then you end up meeting these guys later on playing in the 74 Memorial Cup. I mean, was that still all sort of filtering throughout the team as that was all approaching and just take us through that whole period? Yeah, you know, uh, when I went to St. Catharines, like I talked about that trade earlier to go there, and when I went there, and I, I had the guy Davey Gorman on my line, and Wolf played on my line, Paymont, for a bit, then he would play on another line, but we just, uh, the coach said we fit together like hand and glove, Davey Gorman and I, and, uh, you know, it was a great period of time in St. Catharines, and, and I was married at 17 years old, so I was married before uh, two months into the OHL, which I think helped me mature myself. I don't even know if I would have made it as a hockey player. Mm -hmm. And I still have the same wife today, and it's great. But, uh, yeah, it, uh, th there was a lot of talk about Marcel Dion, about all the players that had played in St. Catharines. It was, there, there was such a huge gathering of fans and people that always talked about everyone that had played for the St. Catharines Blackhawks and the rivalry they had with Quebec and the Toronto Marlboros more so. But, uh, and yeah, it was, uh, you know, they was, when I first came there, they said, well, are you going to take over for Marcel Dion and break his records? And, you know, really, I didn't even know who Marcel was, but I learned an awful lot in my first year in St. Catharines about uh, the city, the team, the league, and the greatness of St. Catharines. And uh, my God, those memories go by really quick, but we enjoyed some great times. And we went to the Memorial Cup. I think that year in St. Catharines, we won 35 games in the in the my third second year there, won 35 in a row at home, and then we had only one tie in the playoffs to go to the Memorial Cup, and we beat some great teams. And we went to the Memorial Cup. Uh, I think it was our own fault. We just 
we just became untied. Uh, we became a little bit undisciplined and a little too big for our britches. And I wish I could always go back to that point in time to replay that Memorial Cup again and, and have a good opportunity to win it. I'll never forget facing off against Dennis Lobchuk. He was facing off and he just signed with Cincinnati for a million dollars for 10 years. He had dollar signs on his hockey gloves. <laughs> and actually that year I was, uh, when I won the scoring in the OHL, I was offered, uh, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead of myself here, but I was offered uh, one of those contracts also with an agent named Norm Kaplan. And, well, we're uh, going to get into that actually as we get yeah. to that. So yeah. I mean, do you want to add anything to that squid uh, during that period? Well, I mean, you, you obviously had an opportunity to go into the WHA and, and make some good money, but you decided, no, I think I'm going to try the NHL, and you were drafted by the Boston Bruins. So what was your first camp like? Was like Did anybody kind of help you out or take you under their wing, or was it kind of like old-time hockey, like dog-eat-dog? Like, in other words, you're not taking my goddamn job, and I'm going to make sure of that. Yeah, that's – that's exactly what it was, Squid. It was dog eat dog when I went to the first Boston camp. And my one of my biggest thrills of my life also was just to meet Bobby Orr. And I think like he was so disciplined as a player in training camp. And Don Cherry was the coach at that time. Harry Sinden uh, was a GM. And, uh, you know, we I think we would train at 8 in the morning. Then you go home and have lunch, come back, and you're on the ice again at uh, 1 or 2. But you, you basically scrimmaged. You practiced very little, just scrimmaged. And, you know, they wanted to find out how tough you were. Uh, you know, there was a lot of fighting back then. I remember the rink was full sometimes in, uh, it was Lemonster, Massachusetts, uh, near Worcester, where they would train. And, uh, but I think it was a lot different then. The guys would go out at night and, you know, drink quite a bit and then get up the next morning and go right to practice. And so the veterans on the team back then never really helped you out and told you what it was all about. They knew their spot was there. They didn't want to lose their spot. And we had to fight for our spots, but it was almost preconceived that you were going to the American League or the North American League back then. And you had to fight to stay in the American League because back then a lot of guys didn't go from the American League to the National Hockey League. And so because there was only, I think, 12 teams at that time. And uh, it was real tough. So uh, but I really enjoyed the training camp thoroughly in Boston. You learn quick. And if you don't learn quick you're gone, whether you're a draft pick or not. Well, I was going to say, just go back to your draft year when you ended up getting drafted, and that was the overage draft, and that, well, it's not overage then, it was 20, uh, because there was no underage draft uh, leading into that, but it was also much different, done by the phone, I believe, at the time. You yeah. get drafted by the Bruins, and then San Diego down the road, so take us through that, and then obviously you chose the Bruins camp over going to San Diego. Talk us about the WHA. You got, actually you mentioned just now you got a contract offered to you. Well, the, the thing was, uh, Boston Bruins were my favorite team when I was a kid. I loved Derek Sanderson. <laughs> and I thought, wow, I'm drafted by the Boston Bruins. You know, I, I should go there. But again, in that period of time, I had Norm Kaplan for an agent. And, I had, uh, and uh, Al Eagleson was trying to get me to change in the Memorial Cup. And that's where he came to the Memorial Cup in Calgary and had some players change agents. My linemate, Davey Gorman, had Frank Milne back then, who was our junior coach, Frank Mott wanted me to go with him, but I had Norm Kaplan, and Norm had me a couple of these deals already, ready to sign after I'd won the OHL scoring, and we had a great year, and I made a bad decision. I left Norm Kaplan to go to Al Eagleson. Not that Al was a bad guy, but I went to Al, and you're one of many, many clients, although he had Bill Waters with him, and I love Bill Waters. Bill was a great guy. He looked after me after that, but... Uh, 
Did Alan Eagleson know your name? Uh, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you a true story. When I, I did switch- that story, there's a reason for me asking you that, Rick. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with my wife. I'm on my way home from St. Catharines. And Al said, well, stop by the office and see me, and we'll talk on your way. And I, I won the OHL scoring this year. And so I'm, my wife and I are walking down the street in Toronto to go to his office, and I see him walking into his office, and I yelled from a distance, you know, where he could see me. And I'm going, Al, Al. And he's looking at me. He's going, I don't know, Al. And I get closer to him. He still doesn't know who I am. I said, it's Rick Aduno. Oh, hey, Rick, how are you? How are you? And then I'm starting to wonder, gee, do you even know where I played or what's going on here? But again, reverting to Bill Waters, Bill was awesome. He would call me all the time, tell me where you were rated, kick me in the ass, tell me to get going, don't rely on stats, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, yeah, that was uh, – it was really, really crazy. And uh, so if I would have stayed with Norm Kaplan, I would have signed with San Diego because we had a good offer with San Diego. I mean, I'm not afraid to say it. I think it was 350000 for three years back then was good money. Yep. And we had an offer from the World Hockey for a million for 10 years – with Norm Kaplan, he he was the guy negotiating these, and one with Phoenix, I think it was for th- three or four hundred for so many years, and this was all at a hotel in Toronto because it was a telephone draft with the WHA that year. My wife, my mom, and my dad were in a hotel in Toronto, and they kept phoning us, giving us these offers, and uh, uh, they didn't take Al didn't take them, or pardon me, I had Norm Kaplan and I'd left him, and he was going to sign me to these, and Al said, "No, Rick, stay another year, junior." You stay one more year junior, I'll triple your money for you. Well, I blew my knee out 10 games into the season the next year, and I'd lost my line mates, Davey Gorman and uh, Wolf Paymon or Dave Salvian, who I played with. And it's a big difference when you lose your line mates. I don't care who you are, you know. And uh, so I had, to, I had to restructure myself all over again. And I'll never forget Al telling me, win the scoring in the American League, when, when, when I went to the American League later, win the scoring there and I'll have you in the NHL. Well, that didn't happen either. So Bill Waters, <laughs> called, Bill Waters called me, and I don't know if you're getting to the Gretzky thing later too, but uh, with the Indianapolis thing. But uh, yeah, Bill called me and said, that, sorry, go ahead. "Yeah." So Bill Waters called me and said, "Rick, we have a contract offer. I, I think the GM's name was Paul Rose with Indianapolis. Said we have a contract offer for you with Indianapolis, and uh, I don't know, seventy-five thousand or something." And he said, we're probably going to sign it within this week. And all of a sudden, I'm waiting, waiting. And then Bill calls me back. And he says, Rick, uh, Indianapolis took the offer off the table because they're taking a centerman. They got no more room. And I said, well, why would they give up a contract to the American League scoring champion? Bill, come on. He goes, Rick, I, you know, I agree with you. They're signing a guy at a junior. I said, who out of junior? He goes, a kid named Wayne Gretzky at a Sault Ste. Marie. I said, well, come on. How could this kid possibly bring more to the table than I have? <laughs> so, you know, at that point in time, you're thinking, like, what's going on? Bill said, you know what, Rick? He said, just bear with it, you know, and uh, let's see what happens in the next week. So I still don't have a contract. So the next week I'm, I'm working in the summer because I'm married out of junior hockey. So I'm at the Husky restaurant about a week later having breakfast with my dad. And I open up the transact the newspaper because you always look at transactions and it said, uh, Birmingham Bulls signed Rick Aduno. I had no idea. <laughs> Bill, Waters, <laughs> Bill Waters negotiated the deal. And you didn't have cell phones then, so I run home to phone Bill. And Bill says, yes, Rick, uh, I guess John Bassett agreed to the deal because it's in the transaction. So you're a Birmingham Bull now. And little did I know I would meet up with Squid and all these, all the young guys. And 
And so it's a crazy story, but uh, I, I can't hold a grudge against Wayne Gretzky. How could you do that? <laughs> no, you can't. Well, you can tell your um, you know, well, you So I go so fifth overall to Vancouver. And Eagleson, you know, he would go around to all the teams because he was the head of the Player Association. And, uh, you know, so when he would come to Vancouver, he would take all his clients out for dinner. So we're at this restaurant we're in a private room and everything. And, uh, and then all of a sudden one of his, uh, assistants comes over and says, uh, what's your name? <laughs> says, what do you mean, what's my name? Like, so anyway, I told him my name and I saw, cause I saw him go back right over to Al and tell Al. And I'm thinking, what an idiot. He didn't even know my goddamn name, and I was picked fifth overall. So then when Bill Waters left him, like, after I had been traded to Toronto, I went with Bill. And it was it was a great fit for me, anyway, with Bill. And uh, and on two or three different occasions, I know Al tried to get me back uh, when I was playing in Toronto. And I just said, you know what? I said, Al, I'm... I'm no doubt in my mind, you could probably get me more money and everything else, but sorry, I'm happy with Bill. I'm happy where I'm at. Yeah, and I 100% agree with you. Bill Waters was great guy, great guy, and uh, one of the best. So now we, get, we get to Birmingham, Smitty, and then along comes your, your, your winger from junior, Davey Gorman's there as well. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I know both always talk to you and and i know he was always davy drove him crazy yeah. so i know i remember the one time where you you had a meeting with brof he called you in and and i you told me the story about what he said about what he'd like to do to david <laughs> <laughs> so i, well, I gotta hear that story because that is legendary that that one well i'll tell you two stories quick ones uh, before i tell that one i'll just tell you one more one when, yeah. Squid, when Squid fought Semenko in Edmonton in the WHA, and he was kind of woozy, and they took him to the dressing room. So we go in after the first period, and his nickname was actually Spud then because he was from PEI. Right. Yes. So Brof would be calling him Spud, and, you know, Brof would always spit out the wrong words sometimes, even though we loved him to death. And our trainer's with the doctor there, and they're trying to revive Squid. And uh, Brof comes walking, and he goes, oh, he's, he's mad because we're down like 3 nothing." He goes, what's going on here? This, uh, is this guy ready here? This, uh, th this, uh, this squid, is he ready to go back? Is he knocked out or we got to get him on a flight and get him the hell back to Birmingham? <laughs> and so when bro, he tried to say spud, but he said squid. <laughs> so after that, everybody started calling him squid. So it was, uh, it was pretty funny the way bro would do things like that. You just loved him for it. Those things made you play harder. But the one about Davy Gorman, we're playing with, uh, Birmingham and we were in the Central League, Atlanta's affiliate then after the World Hockey. And so Paul Henderson was playing with us then too and he nominated me to be the captain so Brof would always call me in his office and we'd talk and, and I'd come out as the captain and the guys would all be sitting there going, what'd he say, what'd he say? So I'd have to kind of imitate him <laughs> and tell stories and the guys would be laughing and we're, we're rolling on the floor laughing before practice and then we go out and be serious. But anyway, this particular time he says, uh, he goes, Smitty, you know what? He goes, you and Gorman aren't playing tonight. I'm disciplining you because we were being undisciplined in Indianapolis. We missed curfew. First, he sent the radio guy to tell us we were flying home on a different flight. And uh, Davey, Davey was in my room with me because we roomed together. Davey goes, Smitty, great. We get to go home on a different flight than the team. 
<laughs> so anyway, bro found out about it. He's going to sit us out again the next game just before the playoffs because we're already in a playoff spot. But I was still going. I was close to the Central League scoring, if I'm not mistaken. I, I can't really remember. But anyway, uh, you know, you always want to score more and win more. And um, so Brof calls me in his office after the morning skate. And Davy Gorman's waiting outside his office. And Brof goes, Rick, Smitty, you're not playing tonight. I said, come on, Brof. I, you can't sit your captain out. He's going, I'm telling you, you're sitting out. I'm, discipline, I, I'm disciplining you. And I'm disciplining Gorman. I'm going to tell him as soon as we're finished talking. And I said, well, he's right outside the door, bro. If you want to call him in, you might as well talk to us together. So, but before he called Gorman in, he says, Smitty, you know what? I'm going to tell you something right now. I love that Davy Gorman. I love you. I love Davy Gorman. But he says, what I'd like to do with Gorman, you know, because he's, he's always skating around, looking at himself in the glass, combing his hair before the game starts. And then he says, he's always got something to say. So I, I'd like to get a big giant machete about this long and split his head right down the middle and see what the hell's going on in there. <laughs> so, so I'm trying not to laugh because he's sitting me out. I'm almost, I'm almost in tears trying not uh, to, that I'm not going to play. So he goes, okay, call Gorman in here. So I said, Davey, get in here. Davey comes in and I said, Davey, I'm sitting out tonight. You're sitting out. Just ask Brof. And Brof goes, yep, both sitting out, not playing. Sorry, undisciplined. And, uh, so I, st I got tears in my eyes, and Davey's standing beside me, and I'm going, bro, if you can't sit me out, I want to play. And Davey's looking at Brof, and he goes, bro, you know what? You can sit me out, but Jesus, Smitty really wants to play. Let him play tonight. <laughs> <laughs> bro says, no, he's not playing. So I grabbed the sticks, and I threw them on the ground, and Brof goes, don't do that. Get over here. So I went on the other side of his desk, and he sits me on his knee, and he gives me a big hug. He goes, look. I love you. I hate to do this, but you're sitting out tonight. And he goes, I don't care if you and Gorman go upstairs in the, in the, in the lounge and get drunk and watch the game or whatever you do, go do it. Have a good time till the playoffs. So <laughs> we leave the office, we go out of there. Davey taps me leaving the office. He goes, Smitty, we can have as many beers as we want tonight. Let's go. <laughs> so that was actually the start of my coaching career. Cause we had a few beers Brof gets thrown out of the game with like 10 minutes to go and he's waving me down to come and coach. <laughs> so I, I go coach the last 10 minutes of the game and I'm probably a little bit under the weather and Davey Gorman's up in the press box laughing at me. Eh? Oh, it was funny. But that was just one of the stories, a couple of the stories with Brof. But, uh, now, did you, did, now, uh, Rick, did you, or Smitty, actually, did you take any um, uh, memories or any funny stories from your Bruins camp? As you touched on, I know when Squid and I have had some of the Leafs from the 60s or played under Imlac and back in those days, the veterans were not nice to the young guys coming in because you're taking somebody's job. And these guys are close-knit and they're almost like family members. It's not like today where guys are a little more welcoming and a little more secure in their roles. But that must have been a bit of a rude awakening for you, especially come from junior where everything was open and you were kind of the king of the team and one of the stars. And now you're relegated to sort of being a – trying to fit in and trying to break through that exterior, which is just almost impossible. So any stories along those lines are just solidified that this really is a difficult task to make this in NHL. Yeah. It, you know, not a lot of stories, but it just, it's a rude awakening because you're coming out of junior uh, junior and you think that you are one of the top dogs and then you go to an NHL camp and you figure, well, you know, and that was one of the mistakes I made. Well, you know, this isn't going to be, too hard because I'm coming out as a leading scorer. They like me a lot and, uh, you know, I'm going to step in and do great things. And that just wasn't the case. You needed to be in better condition. You need to be better prepared. 
uh, as they are nowadays. You know, in, back in my day, we'd lift a little bit of weights and, you know, boom, you go to training camp or whatever. And you'd we, we'd skate in the summer with all the pros here before we went, but it still wasn't enough. And uh, I think, you know, uh, the, you're right. The guys didn't talk to you much. Like it was, there was a separation between the veterans and all these rookies that came in. They were a little leery that we might take their job, but they knew they were solidified uh, because I think they'd only have maybe five or six draft picks in training camp at that time. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't give you, they didn't talk to you. Uh, you kind of had to form your own little group. And then once you started to play decent in camp, they would be a little bit nicer to you. Or if you're out, you, you thought that was a good thing if you were having a, and don't get me wrong, by no means do I drink a lot. But I mean, back then you're thinking, okay, how do I get in with these guys? They go out after practice, they have some beers. You go with them to try and get in with the gang. And uh, and then if even if you have a little bit too much, you're not feeling good the next day. Or sometimes I found, they would try and keep me a bit longer so that, uh, you know, so that you're not playing as good as you can. And so not their fault, my fault. You, you need to, you needed to be mentally tougher at that time. So well, you, you wore a hell of a good number there though. What's that squid? You wore, you wore a great number when you were in Boston. 30, what did I have? 32? 22. 22. No, I had 32. Was it 22 no. or 32? No, no, Brad Park. Brad, I think Brad Park missed a game, and they gave me. He was wearing thirty-two, and yeah. they sat him out, and so I. That was the number that I wore, and uh, I, what was I there? One, two, three games, maybe. But I remember skating on the ice in the Boston Garden. The guy yelled out, "Aduno, good Italian name. You'll be here for a long time." Well, I, didn't <laughs> play, I, I didn't play badly that night. I think I played with Terry O'Reilly and Wayne Cashman, and uh, Wayne Cashman carried my bag into the rink when he seen me walking in, and. Uh, Ended up coaching against him in the ECHL years later, but uh, yeah, it was just uh, you know once you're there, you got to show your, you had to show yourself right away. And again, it was I loved Don Cherry too. He was a coach when I was there, and uh, we'll talk but, about him. That's where I was going next. To any dealings with Cherry? And again, he he's the type of guy that loved the physical game. Yeah, it probably wasn't your game to agree. You're a scorer, but did you try to do something to get his attention? Like when you're realizing now that your your ability alone is not going to get you a spot on the team. Yeah, yeah, no, um, yeah. He made you realize that right away. He loved his veterans. He he loved his veterans. There's no question about that. Uh, he wanted the rookies to earn their spot, and you know, I I would still say that Don Cherry would remember my name today. I'm sure, but uh, he. Don was, he really liked the guys that got there. I remember mine for sure, too. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Squid, you know what? You're still a good coach no matter what, buddy. And, you know, Grapes knows how tough it is to coach, how tough the coaching business is. And uh, he... They they went from three wins to six when he took over. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Boy, what a a big jump that was. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I mean... And it's, you know, I mean, you're coaching young kids and it's a whole different scenario than coaching the pros. And, uh, but yeah, Don was, um, you know, it was more just the older guys. And I remember a good buddy of mine was Barry Smith and, you know, goals and assists didn't mean anything to him. Barry was a checker, worked hard. I was a scorer, playmaker, could help the power play, but Barry got called up in the playoffs. God bless him. He was a good friend of mine. And, uh, uh, I, I did get called up for the playoffs one year when we got beat out in Rochester, all packed up, sent my family home, and they called me the next day and said, uh, 
don't bother. We're bringing Barry back again. So it was a little bit depressing at that point. But you know what? It is what it is. Made me a stronger player. Made me a stronger player and better person. Well, what was the biggest adjustment going from junior to playing professional? Once it did settle in and you realized, again, I'm repeating myself, but that your past abilities, it was going to take more than that. Biggest adjustment, I think, was the strength factor, uh, the intimidation factor, and skating. I mean, even then, skating wasn't great, but my skating needed to be a, a, a level above what it was. A guy named Barton Bradley, who's from Thunder Bay, was one of the uh, scouts, longtime scouts for Boston. And he coached me in Little League Baseball, and he happened to be in the camp that year. And Barton kept telling me after practice every day, Rick, you've got to get a bit quicker. And he'd keep me out after every scrimmage and make me drive from the far blue line to the net, from the red line to the net, and right to the crease and stop and try and get a longer, better stride and get a little bit quicker. Uh, you know, I, I thought I was always a great passer, had a real good shot, but that was something that I needed a little bit better to play in the NHL. Squid? Yeah, I mean, you know, that that was kind of uh, when I came in too, I mean, into the National League or even in Birmingham, like I, I found that probably the toughest part was probably the physical part, like the strength. Like you don't have, you're 19 years old, you don't have the same strength as that 28-year-old who's been playing pro for seven or eight years. I mean, it's just, it's not possible. Uh, you can't have. And uh so that was my big adjustment. I think uh, going into the pros was was probably the strength factor as well. I mean, I wasn't the greatest skater in the world, but I got to point from point A to B, uh, you know, fairly quick. So it didn't really matter if, if I was a smooth, you know, good-looking skater. Everybody said, "Oh, you look like Frank Mahavla, you lazy bastard, getting going <laughs> up and down the wing." <laughs> I said, "Well, whatever. <laughs> as long as it works." Yeah, the, one thing, exactly. the one thing I did do, though, even when we played in Birmingham and places that I would play, I guess, you know, Davey Gorman and I, and we tried to teach Squid that. We were we were the best players on the team, but we were the clowns of the team. But you know what? I think that helped you be a real good player. And I would I would always try to imitate guys skating or the way they talked and stuff. And we'd have we'd have fun with that all the time. You know, oh, gee, there's a picture from Germany you got on there. Mijo. That's that's in Mannheim holding my bull sweater. That's awesome. That's yeah. Awesome. yeah, how about that? Yeah, well, that was now, hey, that was now talk about uh, Smitty, talk about your three years in Rochester. I mean, the overall experience, it's a great traditional town of hockey, great background from some of the players coming there. I, as I, I just said, you know, Don Cherry came from there, like all this sort of Bruins affiliation. Just talk to about all of that. Loved Rochester. Uh, there were three of the best years of my life. Met some great people there. It was a great hockey town, played with some great players. Um, we had we had some phenomenal seasons, uh, but again, like Squid was talking about, it was uh, it was really tough. You got two different guys in those pictures there. I don't recognize. I recognize they looked like two different people. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's the Fredericton Express that one picture. But anyway, what? you know what the uh, the we had Dwayne Rupp as a coach. We had Dick Matusi as a coach. Uh, I like both of them. I like the, I love the players I played with. I mean, you could not, the Nova Scotia Voyagers at that time, they were an NHL team. I think mm -hmm. everyone from that team went on to play in the National Hockey League. Uh, we, again, we're affiliated with Boston. Guys just didn't get to go up very much. Uh, but I played with Gordy Clark on my line. Gordy, been with New York Rangers for years, is uh, director of player personnel now. And uh, 
Doug Gibson was there. I kind of followed the mold of Doug Gibson a little bit in Rochester. He was the hero there, the leading scorer. And then when Doug went on to Washington and Boston, uh, I ended up kind of following in his footsteps. Played with a tough guy named Sean Shanahan, who was uh, with Nova Scotia the year before. Mm -hmm. Ended up playing on my line the year after. Um, played with a winger named Ronnie Garvishuk, about 5'8". Uh, tough as nails, 5'8". He'd take your head off with a stick if you checked him. If we, our line scored a goal, he would never hug me. <laughs> never hug me if I scored a goal. If he didn't think I got an assist, he'd tell me I didn't touch the puck. And he was my line mate, eh? But this guy was a tough guy to play with, but I loved playing with him. And uh, even Jimmy Jimmy Jones, if you remember Jimmy Jones, yeah. Uh, yeah. played with the Leafs. Jimmy played on my line for a while, and Ronnie Garwishuk played with Jonesy and I. And Jonesy and I would imitate Ronnie Garwishuk all the time, and he'd get mad at us. And oh, we'd score, and Jonesy would get up to me and go, Rick, Garvey's not going to hug you, so don't even look for a hug. <laughs> But, uh, but you know what? Back then, we, our goalies were Ross Brooks and Kenny Broderick. And uh, they brought a lot of veteranism to our team, too, with a guy named Jim Petty. So, you know what? There were so many veterans. Daryl Edestrand played there, Al Sims. It just it helped mature your career. So now you end up in the WHA, as we talked, just discussed already a little bit with Birmingham. Talk about the difference of arriving there. You arrive in Birmingham. There's these seven young baby bulls. There's Paul Henderson, you know, 72 hero with Canada. Sprinkle them with some real toughness. Just talked about that experience and sort of the difference in acceptance from the players to you. And then just sort of melding together with the rest of the team. Yeah, I think, it, you know what? Again, that it's 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 so hard to pick out what might have been the best year of your life playing hockey. But I'm so thankful for that year because that all stemmed from the Indianapolis thing and then Birmingham signing me and getting to play with those 18-year-old kids that we all knew were going to play in the National Hockey League. And I think that year Keith Crowder even went back to junior mm -hmm. and uh, and he was you know he just wasn't ready yet. But look at the great career he had. But to play with all those guys, uh, Jingra, Viver, Ramage. Hartsburg, Goulet. Uh, but what we did was, uh, you know, and I'll include Davey Gorman. We took these, we were 23 years old at the time. We took these guys under our wing and we were there. We wanted to be their mentors, their friends, uh, teach them how to have fun, but teach them how to be good players and have, have, have fun playing pro hockey. Cause we needed them to help us too, as much as they needed us. Yep. So Makes sense. That's kind of what we did. And, and you know what? We'd walk in that dressing room every morning and we'd be laughing. We'd honestly go, we'd be laughing. We'd, what'd you do last night? What'd you do? You know, and we'd be laughing. Oh, did Squid burn his fingers on French fries last night? Can he play tonight? Stuff like that, you know. Uh, did the, I don't know, few of them rolled their, they all drove the same car for the first three months. They all had a Grand Prix and then they'd be smashing them up one at a time, you know, because they were 18 years old. So we kind of give them advice. Was it the best advice? I don't know, but we sure had a lot of fun. We had a hell of a lot of fun. I think one of the one of the things that I that I remember from that year though was coming in and and Wayne Wood and all these older guys. They're playing backgammon like an hour and a half before the game, an hour before the game, <laughs> playing for money in, in in the room where you change into your underwear. And here's these guys playing backgammon. I'm I'm looking around going. What the hell's going on? Like we got a hockey game in an hour, <laughs> yeah. and here's these guys playing backgammon for money. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they, Squid's right about that. But Brof would have been the kind of coach too that walked in and said, "Hey, who's winning the game? Who's winning all the money? Oh, you guys yeah, know yeah. we play in half an hour." 
you know, that, that, that would be Brof. And that's what made you want to play for Brof. Like, he, you know, so, it, yeah, and, and Squid's right. I mean, even Wayne Wood and Brent Hughes that year, they opened up a disco bar. And what did we do on the side? All the players and their girlfriends took disco lessons. So we'd go once a week, have disco lessons, and, you know, it, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Like, they were, it, Birmingham was just, you couldn't believe you were playing in Birmingham. You couldn't believe you were playing in the South in a pro Well, Smitty, talk about some of the differences between, say, the AHL or even the NHL, the little bit you, you experienced it, to the WHA, some of the subtle differences in the game. Um, well, I played a little bit in Atlanta, too, with some real experienced guys and an awful big team. I played three games there. But uh, – it was a total different team because of their size and they had a lot of skill and with Boston, I mean, they, yeah, they kind of had the same thing, but it's hard to put your finger on with, I think, I think maybe the WHA when it came about, what did we have? Six teams, a eh, squid since, you know, since, I mean, Mark Messier scored one goal that year in yeah. Cincinnati, the speed of the game, I think was better in the WHA because you're talking a few years down the road with only six teams mm -hmm. at that point in time, you know? So, uh, yeah, I would the, probably say Rick, probably the depth probably wasn't as good as probably what you would see in the NHL. I would think back then, because, uh, you know, they, they all had farm teams with great players, a whole bunch of good players in the American league that they could call up at any time. So yeah. I would say for me, that was probably the biggest difference was the depth of, of the teams in the WHA Compared to the NHL, I don't think they had the depth that the NHL teams did. Yeah, you're definitely right about that because there, there what really was no farm teams with the WHA, and uh, but the WHA. I mean, if you you know you look at Real Cluche and Mark Tardif and all those guys that played in that league, that uh, the Edmonton Oilers. You know, they had Gretzky and and uh, Brett Callaghan, who ended up being my agent when I went overseas to coach. Uh, so I mean, yeah, there was a lot of good players, but the depth. Definitely a huge factor. But most American League guys wanted to play in the WHA because they couldn't get to the National Hockey League. Well, any did you ever, uh, did you ever ask Brett about uh, uh, slots yapping at me? <laughs> yeah, we we talk about that. We went we would we would go out after games in in uh, Krefeld where I coached in Germany, and uh, we'd talk about a lot of things, uh, you know. And yeah, we he'd talk about say there a lot and. Talk about you and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's amazing how the world works. I mean, these guys, he ends up being my agent for a coach, him and Gary Sago, and uh, you know, getting me overseas. So it worked out really well. Well, just along those lines, Rick, any memorable moments from you can recall on or off the ice? I mean, you're sure be sure okay. there's a lot you've touched on already. I mean, Mike, I call him Smitty so you don't get us mixed up, okay? Sorry, Smitty. <laughs> I keep, keep forgetting to call you Smitty. Because we'll, we'll, we'll get off the air and, and uh, he'll think he's Smitty. <laughs> and it's really become him Smitty tomorrow. I, I, it wasn't called the Rebel League for nothing. I with a lot of free time between games, but just some of the crazier annex you saw maybe on the ice or on the ice as well. With some, It was some pretty tough characters too in that league. Oh, yeah. They, you know what? I mean, and again, you know, you're talking about Squid. Uh, like, he would, he, would, he would fight anybody. I think he led the league in penalty minutes that year. That was kind of off the record. And led the team in scoring. And led the team in scoring. And you'd tell him not to fight, and he would anyway. You'd tell him you're going to get beat up, and he would anyway. But you know what? Uh, you know, things like that were uh, watching, watching Michel Goulet turn from an average pro to a great pro that year was was really good watching because he was very shy when he first came in didn't talk 
all of a sudden he's snapping wrist shots from just inside the blue line, top shelf, scoring goals. And, uh, uh, you know, all those young guys, watching them turn into real good pros that year, Ramage, you know, he would fight everybody. Craig Hartsburg became very, very skilled and dominant as the year went on. Uh, Louis Slager, really from nothing into something. So everybody really, it, it was just so much fun watching all these guys come together that year. And, uh, you know, something out of the ordinary might have been, uh, you know, Hartford having Gordie Howe, the two boys on the team, Mark and Marty, uh, Andre Lacroix, Dave Keon. I remember Squid on the bench. Look at all these guys. He'd go, bro, they all got white hair just like you. And bro would get mad and go, what are you talking about? There's nothing wrong with that, Squid. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, so, but it was, it was just an honor playing against those guys. And I remember, like, I see John Garrett on Hockey Night in Canada all the time. And my uncle Ray ended up playing for San Diego and I'm forechecking and I'm standing in front of the net and John Garrett's going, Rick, Rick. And I'm going, who's talking to me? He goes, it's me, the goalie. He goes, what's your uncle Ray doing right now? <laughs> I said, Oh, he goes, yeah, just wanted to know what he's doing. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, those are so, and then one of the funniest moments, a memorable moment, again, it's kind of weird. I think Viver, do you remember we were in Hartford, the, one of the last games of the year, we're fighting for the playoffs and, Wayne Dillon gets a breakaway and all the lights go out in the rink. And uh, <laughs> there's like a we, minute. We were, actually, we were actually in Springfield. Was it in Springfield? Yeah, we were playing hard for in Springfield. Yeah, and all the lights went out. And all you could see was Brof's white hair behind the bench. And Brof goes, oh, my God, I can't believe this happened. <laughs> Dilly, the only guy on our team, won't go in the corners. He says, the lights all go out. He's got the puck. Where's he going to be? Guaranteed hiding in the corner somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember playing Hartford too, and I remember uh, Bro. Well, Brof used to put me out to take the draws on the right hand side in our zone sometimes because I had played center uh, most of my uh, growing up. Anyway, anyway, we're playing Hartford one night, and we're up a goal, and they pull the goalie. There's a face off on on that side, so I take the draw, I win it. We shoot it down the ice, and, but I, I get to it before it goes or before their guy. And I'm coming around the net, and I'm turning backwards to shoot it in the empty net. I remember well, lo and behold, I didn't see him coming, but here comes Gordy Howe. And next thing I know, I'm on my ass, and I'm laying on the ice, and I can't get up. And I'm crawling to the bench, and I can hear Brof yelling, Squid, get off the ice, get off the ice, because they're, <laughs> they're going back the other direction. And I'm going... I'm trying to. I'm crawling off the ice. And I didn't know what happened until the next day. I'm looking at the film, and you can see Gordy skating back. And as soon as he gets beside me, up comes the elbow, hits me right here, mm -hmm. and knocks me out. And I'm, I'm, I'm just like, you know, yeah, the next day, was I was, uh, oh, that was hilarious. I remember Bro, that was at me. Yeah, get, off the ice, get off the ice. Well, you were pretty much knocked out sitting there looking around, and Bro's going, what is that squid doing? What is that squid what doing that right squid now? Doing? There's no time left in the game. <laughs> well, I was going to tell you a story, uh, Smitty, that uh, Dave Hansen, another one of your teammates in Birmingham, great guy. We had him on the show. Yeah. Maybe he's telling us a Michelle Gillet story. He gets called into uh, Brof's office one day and says, look, I've been talking to Goulet. He won't defend. He spoke to Squid, and Squid, of course, defended himself. And then he was kind of telling me, you don't have to fight him all the time now. You've, you've established yourself. But I'm trying to tell Michelle, you've got to look after yourself. These guys are running you out of the ring. You got to stick up for yourself a little bit. And what I've realized, he can't fight. Can you work with him a little bit and teach him how to fight to defend himself? Swan so said, All right. 
takes him in a gym and Hanson, you know, I guess he's one of these after about five minutes, he's talking to him. Shig said, you know what, Michelle, don't worry about it. I'll look after you. So he goes back to post office. He says, I'm never going to teach him how to do that. Just put me on his line. I'll look after him. <laughs> yeah, killer. Eh? That's him. That's for sure. Yeah. He was a godsend when he came to our team because we needed a tough guy. And and uh, he came in and he did just that. I roomed with him a couple times, which was funny. And uh, he was a good guy. And we we haven't been in touch a lot, but a little bit over the years as I was coaching with Christian and that and uh, his son. But, uh, yeah, I, I remember Killer coming to our team. Remember the first time we played in, in uh, Quebec Coliseum? It was a five-on-five -five brawl, our first shift on the ice. And this, this is another bro story. It's our first time in there, and it stemmed over from the year before when Birmingham beat them up. So Brof's reading the lineup in Quebec before the game, and he's reading their lineup, Brackenbury, Wally Weir, Bob Fitchner, uh, Jills Billado, and so he's reading it, and then he goes, for us, Aduno, Vive, and, and Gorman, you guys are going to start, and then he named two defensemen, I think it was Rammer and Hartsey, and I goes, so I didn't know what to say, I'm thinking, oh my god, we got to go out against these guys, but I said, good, brof, we're going to start against all these goons, that's great, brof goes, Smitty, I'll tell you what, those guys aren't goons, those guys are good hockey players, don't call them goons. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to motivate ourselves to go out there and bro sticking up for Quebec and then boom, right off the bat, we have the brawl, eh? That's <laughs> hilarious. Well, you know, we are, we are getting, the time is starting to become a bit of an issue as so we could keep going on about this, but we want to get into your coaching. So you, you finished playing in Fredericton in 82 and then between then, there was a few years after, did you keep playing? Did you play, like Thunder Bay always had a senior A team. They were always yeah. a tough, that was a tough place to play. I remember we had, um, Steve Ludzagon, and when he was coaching, then he had one of the pro teams, and he took a team, and he said, you go in there, it's just a group of assassins, and you just try to get out there with your head on your shoulders still by the end of it. I mean, it was a rough place to play. But yeah. You didn't get asked to join that club and start coaching, and take us through how it all happened and how you ended up with Squid. Yeah, uh, that team, I would actually go – I just out of the blue, I talked to Squid, and he kind of gave me a, like a little scouting job with South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'd go watch this team play at the gardens all the time in Thunder Bay. And yeah, like nobody could come into Thunder Bay. Like they had Chris <laughs> Rowland, they had, uh, oh, they had great players and tough guys. And anybody that came in, if they want, they beat them anyway. So I went to training camp after that with Squiddy, asked me to come to training camp in South Carolina. I think it was 96, 97. And I went and then we brought uh, Chris Hines, Steve Parson. Uh, Dave Mays, there was like five or six guys we brought from Thunder Bay. They all made the team, and they played a huge part in us winning the Kelly Cup. And then when I was there, we, Squid and I were having so much fun running training camp, putting the team together, uh, that he asked me to stay. And I never even dreamed of staying. But we were just, things were just clicking between him and I as, as old line mates. And uh, so I phoned our family business back home that I was involved with and said, I'm going to become a hockey coach. So I did, and then uh, we traded for Chris Rowland at the trading deadline, and Chris Rowland played a big part yeah. in us winning the Kelly Cup also uh, in, you know, uh, uh, intimidating people and, and fighting. And, when, and Squid and I made some great trades. I remember it was – who was it, Squid? Was it Rowland? It was 3 o'clock, trade deadline. Squid said, Smitty, we ain't getting them. Trade deadline's over. I said, Squid, just call the league. Tell them that the trade is in the midst of being done. So he said, you think it'll work? I said, sure. So he called the league. And the head guy from the league said, just finish it off then. So we completed the Chris Rowland trade. And 
Then after that, when he came to play for us in the rink, when he'd skate on the ice, they'd play rolling, rolling, rolling. Remember that? <laughs> Every time he fought. Well, I'll tell you so, what, he was a big, he was a real big help to us winning. He brought a little bit of that, that grit and determination that we needed, I think, uh, in order to get through all those teams and get yeah. to the finals. Yeah, we, we, yeah, we, we just meshed, meshed it together real good. So it was yeah. awesome. So that's how I got into it. Yeah. Now, Smitty, I want to ask you this, and we've had this discussion many times before. It's good. Now, it's a two-parter for you here. Number one, the biggest change moving behind the bench, essentially swapping a hockey stick for a stick of chalk, and the biggest change for you. And secondly, we've talked about this many, many times. How frustrating was it you to try to get a message across to a player or players that it seems so natural to you to, to convey this message, but they just wouldn't or couldn't grasp it because now you're in a situation you can't jump on the ice and show them. So take us through your thoughts on all of that. Well, what I do, what I do with that, and again, you know, Squid and I had many conversations coaching, and I think that's what you have to do as coaches. And and you know, we did we didn't have the luxury of computers and the great VCRs back then, or the you know the way we do video now, right on the computer, click a button, boom. Um, so, you know what. What I would do, well, actually, it's been a lot of uh, hours with our VHS putting tapes in. and Yeah, we had the double VHS. Remember, we ordered it from the specialty. I can't remember, but we had we were the first ones to have a double VHS. And actually, when I won the championship in South Carolina, we still did not have a computer in our office. We got it yeah. the year after, you know. We used to do everything by books. But what you're talking about, relaying the message to a player, I would make a point, and I, because I had that ability – I would make a point of on the ice and practice the next day, taking a guy aside or showing him video as to what he's doing wrong and what he needs to do right. And the video always has the right answers for you. But I would always listen to the player's input too. What did mm -hmm. he have to say about this situation? And then I would give him my opinion. And then, you know, we would we would maybe mesh that together. Or I would say as if I – and sometimes when I was just coaching the team, I'd say, you know what, boys? I'd ask for an opinion sometimes, get an opinion. But then if it, I didn't think it fit right at that particular time, I'd say, this is what we're doing. We're doing it this way right now, so there's no gray area. So you had to have a little bit of give and take with your yep. players. You learned how to do that over the years. And and Squid always had that as a coach, a lot of the give and take and dealing with his players. And players just play harder for you when you yeah. do that. And well, you have communication. To have communication yeah. is the key. And, uh, you know, I remember, uh, like, we had a great uh, – group of players that, that had great character, Marietti and, you know, our assistant uh, captains and Bednar and all these guys. So anyway, I remember one time calling in Brett and uh, the two assistant captains, and I said, we had lost like three or four games or something. And I said, guys, tomorrow in the paper, I'm going to rip you guys apart. I said, but it, it's, it has nothing to do with you guys. I said, I got to wake those other clowns in that room up. I said, because they're playing horrible. You guys are working your asses off, doing everything you can. They said, yeah, okay, no problem. So they knew next day, picking up a paper, they knew it wasn't about them. And sure enough, I think we won like seven or eight in a row after that. <laughs> you, you couldn't do it that often or else it was going to, you know, get a little, uh, the players would get tired of it. But it's a... Yeah, it's, it's the same old thing, though. You know, if you have the ability as a coach and I know they have a ton of assistant coaches in the NHL, but if you still had the ability as a coach to go out there, there's an angry guy. But if you still had the ability to go out there 
And uh, see this guy beside me? Now he's an assistant coach there. He's a Russian, but he's an assistant coach in Krakow. Looks like Steven Stamkos. <laughs> his name is Boris Blanc. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm, you, you would go on the ice and, and do drills with them, pass pucks, show them plays, show them uh, what to do around the net. And, and I think that's something as a player, if you can, uh, as a coach and being a former player, boy, players understand and they respect that. And so we'd, I'd always do that, even in Germany. I did that a lot and uh, counted on players that had good skill to help, to help our players. So quickly, Rick, what was the difference coaching overseas as opposed to North America? Like what was the biggest difference you found other than the size of the ice surface? Well, you know what, Squid, and that's a good question. I, I found out the, the tempo of the game was unbelievable, and partly because of the big ice. But almost everybody, if you can't skate, it's hard to play over there. Mm -hmm. And I found a big difference in the puck movement. Uh, uh, Donnie Jackson coached Berlin, and I learned a big lesson right away. Although I had success early, um, Donnie Jackson uh, would coach uh, Berlin. They pinched everything. They pinched all over the ice all the time. And that was, and even off faceoffs in the defensive zone, one of the defensemen was always jumping in the play right away, right off, directly off a faceoff, uh, whether he went around the net or grabbed the puck and high flipped it. And it's really surprising because now I'm watching NHL games and I'm seeing, I mean, not the, you know, the NHL games, now I'm seeing them play three guys high at the blue line. We've mm -hmm. done that over in the DEL for probably the last eight years. Three guys high at the blue line sometimes as a strategy to take away from defensive coverage. Uh, high flips off of faceoffs in the D zone and chase it. You've seen two goals scored in the NHL over the last two games. So, I mean, the stretch passing, the bump passes, the quick neutral zone transition, uh, the puck, uh, uh, puck possession, that was something I really had to get used to in Germany. And defending against the power plays, was really hard. So I, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I could show you all my paperwork that I'd have. I'd draw out every game, uh, the other team's po opposition's power play. They're three, they, some of them have two, three different units. I'd draw out their power play units, list them, um, uh, list them as X1, X2, X3, X4, X5, where they're planted, where their passing routes are. And our guys would read them before the game just so they have an idea in their head if we're killing a penalty and what we do, and we'd go over it in video. So we, two years of coaching over there, we led the league in penalty kill. I think we were around 89%, 90%. And it is tough because of that big ice service to protect, to uh, defend against the one-timer. Well, really. we got about 30 seconds left here. We just want to get, to, before you go, all your years playing hockey, you and Gorman sound like you're a couple of characters. Any, any, <laughs> oh, they, any, they were. <laughs> any pranks that you can share with us? You obviously were probably one. I was always asked who the prankster was. You obviously were one of them, you two. Uh, name, give us one of your pranks or somebody you got. Oh my God, um, I don't know. I think, <laughs> I think one of them, and I, I, I can't say that I did it, but it was when Davy Gorman put Scotch tape on the bottom of our coach's skates before he came out oh, for boy. practice one day, and he didn't know it, and he came my ass over a tea kettle. So I mean, that was just one off the top of my head right now, but. Uh, there's, there's probably a hundred of them, and you kind of caught me off guard with that, but I, there's so many stories. We could talk for hours and hours. Well, we're, we're going to get you back again, but we're now out of time, and, and we just want to thank you very much, Smitty, for joining us today. Your stories are great. We've got a lot more a lot more we can talk to you about, and maybe we'll get you back again one day. We can carry on with this, and we'll get you to think about some of those uh, moments <laughs> when you got a few guys, maybe a squid story or two. So anyway, we want to thank everybody for joining us today. 
tune in to 365sportscaster.com next week to see us and look for us on all your usual uh, iTunes sites and all your other podcast networks, and you can find us. Thanks for joining us, guys, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, 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 Greg. Awesome, buddy.